Hello, and welcome to Sanity Optional's third episode. My name is Silent Snooper. I'm thinking that I want to add a little music into the show, just a simple theme to start, and a divide between the main topic, the word of the week, and the science article. I'm hoping that this will help delineate the transitions better. Hopefully I'll have those ready to go in a week or so, maybe two. Um, I would also like to say that anything that I say in these episodes is my own opinion or observation, but feel free to disagree. And I also threw in a little gain on my mic, so hopefully I'm easier to hear. Please let me know. So on to the main topic for this week. Character progression. Almost every video game has some form of it. The most common way to denote character progression is via a character level. You start at level 1 and work your way up. Pretty simple. Almost every kind of game has some form of character level. MMOs, shooters, Diablo-style games, city builders, RPGs, etc. There aren't many games that don't use character levels. But some do, like the Thief series or the Deus Ex series, but it's pretty uncommon. So why do video games have character levels? They are, as stated earlier, used as a simple way to measure character progress, which is then used to determine character power and situational viability. They can also provide a sense of satisfaction when you complete them. But they have a downside. They can also be used as a means of exclusion and elitism. Now, is there a way to minimize or eliminate this? Can you have a complex multiplayer RPG-style game without character levels? I'm not sure it's possible, and I'm sure it's tough to do, but let's talk about character levels first. Normally in a game that uses them, you have levels as a progress bar and an end goal. This determines what you are allowed to access in a game's content, your relative power in the open world when questing, and provides a channel for you to have some customization over your character and playstyle. Usually, when you level up, you get a point you can use in a talent tree, or maybe some new abilities. These can make you stronger, or open up new ways to play your character. I've been trying to think of ideas to have a game where there aren't levels, yet have ways to feel like your character is progressing. Here are some of my ideas. Imagine a world where anyone who starts the game immediately has access to most or all of the content. You can make your character and head to the first or nearest dungeon, raid, or PvP zone if you so choose. But things will be much tougher because your character lacks progression at the early stages of the game. It's doable, just very difficult. Now my first idea is that as you quest, you get gear, like usual, and the gear provides some level of stat improvement. But when you complete all the quests in a zone, you acquire a piece of a particular set of gear. What I mean by that is, a set of gear is a specific group of items that you can equip on your character. Each item has their own statistics, but the more pieces you have equipped from that set, the more bonus statistics are unlocked. The pieces complement each other. You gain more set pieces when you complete other zones, or perhaps groups of zones, based on the world. Let's say the world has five zones, or countries, on the continent. So you'd have a five out of five set piece when you complete the, dun the continent. But what's so great about a set? Well, the bonuses could be things that would be useful in the world, and once completed, provide a large boost to your character while on that specific continent. Consider the following. If you have two of the five pieces, you get a bonus to your movement speed, which would help you quest or farm faster. If you have three out of the five pieces, 
there could be a cool and useful random effect chance on an attack. Or it could be something social, maybe an increase to the chance of a successful speech check when talking to certain NPCs, or it could even be a reputation bonus so that you get, say, 25% extra reputation points whenever you earn some. The 4 out of 5 feast bonus could be a profession-related bonus, like an increased chance to crit when crafting something so it becomes a higher quality craft than the default quality of the craft. Maybe it increases your materials gathered from sources, or less materials needed for a crafting recipe, something like that. Finally, a 5 out of 5 piece bonus could be something that simply increases all the damage you do in non-dungeon, non-raid, and non-PvP content by 200%, or something large like that. In this way, your progression is shown by your gear in that it makes the overland world more trivial once you've completed all the content for the continent, while keeping dungeons, raids, and PvP still relatively difficult and more reliant on skill. Great, you've done all the quests for this whole place, here's a boost so that when you go into profession gathering or reputation farms or whatever, you feel more powerful because you've fought all these creatures before, and the, the damage boost can represent knowing weaknesses and vulnerabilities in those creatures so they're easier to kill. Also, you want to look cool in the world, so why not have the complete armor set look cool in some fashion? That way, there's the visual effect of progression, too. To build on this idea, say you had a different set of items for a completely different continent. This other set provides bonuses to that specific continent, and maybe once you complete both full sets of gear, then you could unlock a way to meld those two sets together via crafting or an involved quest line, either of which requires a lot of time, materials, money, reputation, or whatever to complete. I think there's a lot of ways to play with the system and keep it interesting. Another idea for character progression is that as you quest through zones, you get rewards. Perhaps one of these rewards could be at the end of a significant quest line, where you earn a talent point that you can spend. Let's say a zone maybe gives you three or five talent points in total once completed, but on top of that, certain quests give your character permanent, if situational, bonuses. Okay, let's say there's a zone with a large swamp in it that's overrun with undead running amok and causing havoc. Your task as the adventurer with solving or helping to solve the situation. The gases from the swamp are noxious and will actively affect or injure your character, and the longer you're in the gases, the worse the effect gets. The gases could slowly damage your HP like a dot, or drain stamina or mana, or maybe they could slow your character's movement speed or reduce your view distance. And while you're adventuring in the swamp that's debilitating your character, you're fighting undead, and looking for clues as to how to solve this local crisis. And maybe at some point your character finds like a resilient plant or something, and you take that to the local apothecary in the town, who says to give them time to work on or experiment with this thing that you found. This could open up a quest line where you help the apothecary work out a formula that reduces or removes the debilitating effects of the swamp gas. It probably takes three or four tries of you applying a salve or drinking a potion or inhaling smoke from a burning plant combination and going back into the swamp to see what happens. The first couple tries don't work or even make things worse. Maybe the salve reacts badly to the gases and burns your skin 
and the plant incense one actually causes your character to see things that aren't there, like swarms of monsters or standing in fire that follows you, or something like that. Finally, the potion, or whatever, provides some relief, and after doing these quests and re-killing a bunch of undead, you find a cave entrance, and you somehow figure out that a necromancer lives there and is causing the gases and the undead and is using them as a defense so he can work in peace. And that could be a whole dungeon or raid where you go in as a group and try to clear it and take care of the necromancer one way or the other so he stops bothering the town. Maybe your quest from the apothecary reduced the effectiveness of the gases by 50% above ground. But in the cave, where things are concentrated with less air movement and less openness, the effects of the quest buff is reduced to maybe 10 or 20%. Perhaps there's all sorts of ways you could deal with the concentrated gases while in the raid in the cave, but they take a little extra time to do. There could be pockets of fresh air, where you could blast open passages or seal off whatever is making the gases. When you kill the final boss, your character could have developed a natural resistance to the gases by that point, and so the effectiveness of the gas is further reduced by a percentage, which makes the next raid a tad easier or less stressful. And maybe each time you kill the final boss, you get another percentage of resistance to a certain cap, which allows you to skip some of the respite places and make the path to bosses more direct. Oh, we couldn't go through this passage before because of the fumes, and we had to do X and Y to clear it, but now we can just make it past these fumes and save some time. Maybe that unlocks certain hard mode versions of bosses. Another example could be, maybe there's a zone that's an archipelago and requires a lot of swimming to get from island to island, or to explore beneath the waves. And you acquire a buff while questing that increases your swim speed, and increases your ability to hold your breath. Once you finish the main quest line of the zone, you get a permanent character buff that allows you to swim faster and hold your breath longer, but it's not as beneficial as the initial buff. For example, while in the archipelago your swim speed is increased by 50% and your breath meter is 50% longer, but maybe that goes down to 10 or 20% in other zones. It's still an improvement to your base character. There could be underwater dungeons or rewarding puzzles, even in other zones, that require certain bonuses to be solved. Perhaps you're playing your character, and you go to a Fletcher shop in a city. And if you're an archer, the Fletcher could have a one-time quest where maybe he teaches you a new archery technique that increases your archery damage by 1% permanently, or teaches you a new technique of crafting arrows which improves your crafting recipe for making arrows that either gives you more arrows for the same materials or the new craft requires an additional item for the recipe but the arrows now do plus one damage or something and there could be a whole bunch of class specific improvements like this scattered throughout the game world maybe each piece of the set gear that i talked about earlier has a certain prestige value on it and when you complete the set there's a prestige bonus that allows you to either talk to NPCs you couldn't talk to before, or grant access to a hero's lodge, where there are new quests and rewards. Or maybe there's a vendor that you can now buy stuff from. The higher your prestige, the better treated you are by NPCs. Maybe some offer a discount on their goods and services because of your reputation. Maybe at a certain threshold, perhaps after combining the two previously mentioned continental sets, your prestige is such that you gain an audience with the king or council or some form of leadership and they give you a seemingly insurmountable task with cool rewards at the end. 
Maybe you can unlock better lands, or houses for your lands, or new NPCs or services at your home. A different idea is maybe there's a handful of dungeons that you need to do quests in so that you can attune yourself for a raid, or they give you small buffs you wouldn't have normally. So, you could have a dungeon or a series of dungeons where you need to collect a set of gear that makes you look like a member of an enemy faction for which there is a raid. And you can only enter the raid by talking to the enemy NPCs outside the instance who are guarding the entrance. Wearing your armor fools the NPCs into thinking you're members of the faction. There could be a password or phrase that you need to acquire from somewhere to get access. This passphrase could change every week, and you'd have to infiltrate the enemy encampment outside the raid and find this week's new code. Maybe the password this week is Hail Spode! So you walk up to the guard's entrance and yell Hail Spode to them, and they let you in. Now, if you enter the raid with a costume, the start of the raid is easier, but maybe you're discovered by the first boss or whatever, which from then on negates the costume and the raid continues as normal. But you're able to skip a lot of trash, or go through doors otherwise barred, or maybe mess around with things that either made the raid easier or more difficult down the road. Maybe you poison a boss's food that is served to him later, and by the time you get to him, he's really sick and his health or defenses are reduced. Or you sabotage a weapon's dash. Or the enemy blacksmith's area where a weapon or piece of armor for a later boss is being worked on. And you have a chance to make the metal brittle, which could make the boss's weapon break mid-fight. Or his armor crack, allowing you to do more damage to him. On the flip side, while exploring a large camp outside the raid, there could be a bunch of tents and ruins where the enemy forces are living in. And while in costume, you manage to find a document on a commander's desk or something, with a report from a soldier who explored the ruins and discovered a secret back entrance into the raid, which means you don't need the costume. But the way inside has been reinforced with troops and is much more difficult, and the path in the raid itself is filled with a lot more difficult creatures or challenges to make up for not having the costume. Why is the back entrance more difficult? It's because you put time and effort into acquiring the uniform. By not using the uniform, you need to make up for the effort and time investment into acquiring uniform, and so the raid is more difficult to do and takes more time. Or, the back entrance could be a form of heroic progression or something like that, and there's better rewards for doing it, but it's still pretty difficult. These are just ideas I came up with that I thought could be cool and interesting ways of doing things, but it didn't take too long to think of these, and I'm sure a team of people could do better. The problem with all of this is that while these would work fine in a single-player game, multiplayer games are a whole different beast. The multiplayer problem is that you have to account for other people's time, which involves efficiency. Now, some people take efficiency too far, and efficiency becomes elitism. Even worse, sometimes, the whole carry-me mentality appears, which to me is self-centered elitism, whereas elitism for the guild or the raid team is a group-focused elitism. I'm honestly not sure that you can have a somewhat involved multiplayer game that cuts out elitism. There will always be a metric, somewhere, that people will use as the standard for character power, even if they have to invent one. Yes, there is logic to the idea of someone who puts in the effort clearly shows that they want the reward of whatever, be it clearing content or gear or reputations or being the best crafter on the server. I think that kind of idea is necessary and is overall good. But where is the line between acceptable effort levels and overachiever effort levels? 
where is good enough compared to overpowered. I think that line is delineated on an individual and personal basis. How much time and effort am I willing to put in? What do I want to accomplish in this game versus what is required as bare minimum? Can I meet that requirement? Can I exceed that requirement? What are the benefits of me doing either? I'm not saying things like theory crafting are inherently bad. I've certainly used it myself. And when you use theory crafting to figure out, okay, the boss has X amount of health and accounting for mechanics and whatnot, I need my raid to do about Z amount of DPS on average is a good use of theory crafting. And you'll have some people that pull 10% over that number and you'll have some people that pull 10% under that number and you can kind of balance things out. So asking for people to pull within 10 or 15% of Z number is a reasonable request for progression and when recruiting new raiders. But when theory crafting starts dredging up efficiencies, like, oh, if I do this farm for hours upon hours and get this buff or new piece of gear, I can increase my effectiveness by 0.2%. And if I require everyone in the raid to do this, then that increases the raid's DPS overall by 2%, which means that we can kill the boss 2% faster and over the course of the night, be able to do a little more in the raid. That to me is not worth it, especially if it removes fun and makes people feel like they have to do tedious work in a video game, which as I said in my first episode, are supposed to be fun. So how do you stop elitism? Well, you could run your own guild or community, but when you exclude someone for not doing the actual minimum, they could claim that you're being elitist when you simply want everyone to pull their weight but then different people determine pulling their weight differently. Some people are on the barely meeting minimums end of that spectrum, all the way up to those wanting super high-end, over-the-top, nigh-impossible requirements. This difference of opinion is what divides people into every bracket between very casual and ultra-hardcore players. And when the non-hardcore players want to do the hardcore content, be it the highest difficulty or the most prestigious thing, or getting the best loot, they tend to get upset when they're barred from doing it because they haven't put in the effort. This whole maximum reward for minimum effort thing really gets to me. Why should you be rewarded with high-end stuff when you don't put in nearly the effort that other people in the bracket do? Are you somehow special? Do you think that you're the best player in the world? Do you have a 1,000 to 1 kill-death ratio? Do you pull DPS numbers that have never been seen before? Are you an invincible tank? Has nobody ever died while you're healing? No. Sit down. You aren't the best in the world. Nobody is. You're just looking for handouts and freebies because you're lazy, and only you and your mama think you're special. People want their rewards now, without putting in effort. Nobody plays the long game anymore. Nobody sees the larger picture. Nobody wants to learn and improve themselves. They want their reward ASAP, instead of getting a bigger reward down the road. There's a phrase for that. Instant gratification, and I think society has much to blame for that. So let's talk a bit about instant gratification. Now, instant gratification has existed probably forever. I asked my parents, who have been around a while, if they remember instances of instant gratification when they were growing up, and what their thoughts on its prevalence was. They confirmed that while it was around when they were young, they weren't aware of it being any more or less widespread than nowadays. They brought up an interesting point, though. Back even when I was a kid in the late 80s and through the 90s, there was no internet. There weren't smartphones. Cell phones were still bricks and very few people had them. And also very few families had home computers. 
I used to think that the Space Invaders-like game on the TI-83 was a pretty sweet thing. If you wanted to know something, you had to go to the library and look it up in an encyclopedia or check out a book on that subject. And if they didn't have it, you were SOL unless you went somewhere else. But you had to take the time to get there and look it up. You had to put the effort in. Nowadays, it's just like, hey Google, tell me about the Hindenburg or the migratory patterns of European swallows compared to African swallows. I think that so many people these days are so used to having so much information available at their fingertips instantly on their phones or whatever that some people think, I wonder what else I can get without trying. And those that don't take rejection well flip a lid when things don't go their way. Or they could just be spoiled brats who haven't grown up yet. And I think that instant gratification combined with greed are destroying our companies. Investors don't care if telling a video game company to release their newest game when it isn't ready destroys the game, the company, or reputations. They just want their damn money. They don't think that letting a game company finish their game is worth the wait. I think that all the investors in all companies need to be replaced with people who have long-term visions and plans. Not people who go, screw your company's reputation, screw your employees and all the hard work you've been doing over the several years, and launch your stupid game and give us all the money now at any and every cost. Disclaimer, I don't know exactly how this works. I'm assuming this is how this works because this sure seems to me how this works. Anyway, if you give people, for instance, CD Projekt Red, the time and resources to make the game they want to make and let them finish their product, then you can have a game that redefines a genre instead of a game that seems 80% complete. And if you do that, you'll make a ton of money. If you're behind the project, that's a once in a decade or whatever event that pushes the industry forward. Instead of re-releasing the same old crap, you'll make a ton of money. What happens when you release the same old tiring story with the same art assets and game modes just with a new coat of polish on them? The industry stagnates. You'll drive your customers away who want innovation and progress and new experiences. As an aside, part of the problem of the consumer is that there's a certain level of hype and expectation around certain games, and 9.9 .9 times out of 10, there is no way a company can compete with those expectations. There's a reason Half-Life 3 isn't out. Another problem of instant gratification is that it can create addictive tendencies. As advanced as our brains are, they still have caveman impulses firing all the time. In my experience, people tend to prioritize short-term needs over long-term gains. Now, some of this is part of a chemical reaction in our bodies. When we get something we like or want, our brains release dopamine, which makes us happy. We like being happy, we want to be happy more, so we chase more dopamine and we'll cut corners to get it. Have you ever heard of an experiment similar to the following? There is a plate with a cookie. You tell a child that they can eat the cookie now, or if they wait 20 minutes, they get two cookies. What happens? Most of the time, the child eats the cookie before the time limit. Why? Because they can see the cookie, they can smell the cookie. They can't see or smell the cookie that isn't there yet. This experiment, commonly known as the marshmallow experiment, is an exercise in delayed gratification, which is an exercise in patience. And patience can lead to more profitable results in the long run. It just takes practice to learn patience. And now for the word of the week. This week's word of the week is, and I need to be careful saying this word because I could add a letter accidentally and very easily, Sitzfleisch. Sitzfleisch is a German word that translates literally as sitting meat or sitting flesh, or your bottom. 
but this word also carries connotations of being able to stay in place and focus on the task at hand and get the job done. If someone tells you that you have Sitzfleisch, it is a compliment, and that they believe you have the patience and fortitude to see a task completed. Sitzfleisch has two other meanings as well. The first one is if you know someone who is in a difficult situation, but is not actively trying to solve the situation, and is just hoping that the situation resolves itself. I know I've done that a time or two. The other meaning is having the patience needed to sit through a long performance, like an opera or a terrible movie. But most of the time, Sitzfleisch refers to patience and staying on task and focusing to get something done. Mark Twain once said about German words, which can be very long and convoluted, that, quote, some German words are so long that they have a perspective, end quote. And I think that's a pretty brilliant statement. And now for science. How can you become more patient or choose delayed gratification? The AsylumsDaily.com, one study by neuroscientists at UC Berkeley, suggests that using your imagination can cause you to see long-term benefits of a now versus later choice and make the right choice. Study participants were placed into an MRI machine, not all at once, mind you, and one group was given a choice, and a second group was given a second choice. Both choices involved receiving money over a certain amount of time. While the amount of money was the same, the way the question was asked and framed were different for each group. The first group's choice was to either receive $100 tomorrow or $120 in 30 days. The second group's choice was to either receive $100 tomorrow and no money in 30 days, or no money tomorrow and $120 in 30 days. Afterwards, some participants said that they made their choice by thinking ahead and imagining what the difference would be in the end. One person reported that while $100 tomorrow would be nice, the $120 was better in the end because that $20 was basically a free tank of gas for a week. Another person said that they could use the $100 right now and that the extra $20 was not worth the wait. According to the MRI results, those who used their imagination to see the value of waiting were better able to use their willpower and wait. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about this test, to be honest. Money is a very situational thing to a lot of people, and if you can't afford to wait 30 days for an extra 20 bucks, then I can totally see why someone would take the $100 now. Whereas if you're in a situation where you can afford to wait a month for $120, then why not wait? I think there needs to be a similar test performed where there aren't extraneous real-life interferences. Something where you can have complete control over the parameters would be ideal. If you really want to test people, get some people who are really hungry and do the marshmallow test on them, but with, say, tacos. Place a nice, fresh, steaming taco in front of them and say, you can have this now and no tacos later, or you can wait 30 minutes and have three tacos. I think that might be a better measure of people's self-control, willpower, and patience, because they might be able to intuit that, oh, if I wait, I'll have more food, I'll be less hungry. I think that might be a better test. This, of course, assumes that your participants like tacos. As an aside, I came across some interesting information about how sometimes marketing can alter a person's perspective and increase their patience. In the 1970s and 80s, Heinz ketchup was being sold in those glass bottles with a tapering neck and an opening about the size of a U.S. penny, and it was notoriously slow at making its way out of that opening. 
You had to shake or tap on the bottle to get the product out. I remember sticking a knife in there and trying to pull out ketchup. People didn't like waiting for this process. Marketing executives and Heinz came up with the tagline, It's slow good, in an effort to increase the confidence of consumers that while there's a wait, it was worth it. They correlated the quality of the ketchup with the thickness, and so people were more willing to wait. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Sanity Optional. I apologize if it seemed a little ranty. Um, Thank you for listening to the episode. If you have any topic ideas or suggestions and feedback, please let me know at sanityoptionalpodcast at gmail.com or on r slash sanityoptional. And please be courteous. Sanity Optional Podcast can be found on Spotify, Pocket Casts, or Apple Podcasts. And if you want to listen to this on a different platform, please let me know and I will see what I can do. Finally, I hope you have a great week. And stay sane if you want. It's optional.